This week, we continue our summer sermon series where we have a word of the week. These are now words that you all have been sending to Alec and me, and we have been taking them and matching them with some of the texts. It is wonderful to see which words really resonate with you all as well as with the scripture passages. And so we can invite you to continue to send us words that you would like to hear preached upon. One of the words suggested was the word yes, and so that is what we will be reflecting upon today. And before we talk about that, I'm going to read a story to you all, and it is a story from scripture that is probably very familiar from the book of Luke. And I'm going to invite you to try to place yourself in the story, to see where you are, which character you might be, where you would be standing in the setting. I invite you to do this. It's a way of listening as if for the first time, even when we've heard words many times before. And you can close your eyes if you need to, and your neighbor won't know whether you're listening or resting. Listen to this scripture, to this story nestled within a story from the 10th chapter of Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder where you find yourself in this story. Perhaps you are in the lawyer's shoes, skeptical, studious, ready to challenge Jesus, ready to show how hard you have studied this thing called law. You want to know what the right answer is here. You want to know exactly what you're supposed to do. 
Or perhaps you find yourself as a disciple standing at Jesus' side, hearing the lawyer's challenging questions, and you look at Jesus, eager to hear what he has to say, ready to show him, really show his stuff. Perhaps even he'll deliver the perfect verbal smackdown of this swaggering lawyer. You're ready and you're waiting, but when you look at Jesus' face, your heart sinks and you sigh and you know what's coming. You know he's not going to deliver a smackdown. He's not going to show off. He's probably not even going to give an answer that you can fully understand. He's going to probably ask a question or worse, tell some shocking story like he usually does. And you love the guy, but you wish just once he would give a straight answer. Or perhaps you find yourself more as an onlooker in the crowd, watching and listening. In a world of posturing, this Jesus seems to really believe what he is saying. He seems to truly care about the people whom he is meeting. His words cut through all the noise around you. You are tired, and somehow, Jesus' words are the water you didn't know you needed. They are the food you didn't know you craved. Or perhaps, in listening to this parable and this passage, you find yourself in the parable itself. I wonder if you find yourself in the priest or the Levite going down the road. You are a person with many responsibilities, many people depending on you. When you see this man in the ditch, you do hesitate, but who can stop for one man, for one person? This is just an isolated incident. You have work to do. You have a lot of people waiting for you. So you see this man and you feel a wave of fear and you move to the other side of the road. After all, robbers are known to journey on this road. This man could be left as a trap. Why should you feel guilty about this man in the ditch? You didn't do anything to him personally. This is a dangerous road. You really should have been more careful. You really should have carried protection. You really should have given the robbers what they wanted. He shouldn't have resisted. You see the man And you start to think, perhaps, after all, it's his fault he's in the ditch. He's a stranger, and you really need to get back to your own people, where things are safe. It's scary on the road. And so you move on to the other side. I wonder if you even find yourself picturing yourself as the person in the ditch, beaten up, cast aside, forgotten, and avoided, unable to speak, unable to move, waiting and hoping that someone or something outside of your own power, because you don't have any left, outside of your own strength, someone will extend a hand of compassion. Or I wonder if you even imagined that you might be the Samaritan, After all, he too had places to go and things to do, people to see. He isn't just traveling on the road for fun. He has money and supplies, clearly we can hear that. He is heading somewhere before he stops and takes this detour. Perhaps the Samaritan saw the man in the ditch and also felt a wave of fear. This is a scary road. This is a place to be on your guard. 
end, the man could be a trap or he could be a Jew, which is not someone that the Samaritans interacted with peacefully. He could be someone who, if he had been conscious, might have been the type of person who would moved himself to the other side of the road to avoid the Samaritan. He might spit on you or insult you or worse. After all, Samaritans and Jewish villagers had been known to inflict violence on each other at different times. They had opposing political and religious beliefs. They had been in conflict for centuries. This is a dangerous and violent road. If you are a Samaritan, you too have reason to be scared. You have a reason to see this man, to give him a quick glance, to say a quick prayer, and then to continue on your way. But you don't. I wonder what stops you. I wonder what stops him. I wonder what stops the Samaritan from seeing this man in a ditch as a threat to be eliminated or a scapegoat to be blamed. I wonder what allows this Samaritan to see, really see this man. For after all, it says the others see him, but that means they move to the other side of the road. When the Samaritan sees the man, he is moved with pity. I wonder what makes him see the man as a person worthy of his pity, worthy of his compassion, his time, his energy, his care. Jesus never tells us what makes a Samaritan do what he does, but Jesus definitely makes sure that we have the details. Jesus describes thoroughly the care that the Samaritan pours out how he bandages wounds and applies cleansing oil and wine, how he hoists this probably quite heavy body onto his own animal, slowing them down on their journey, and he takes him to an inn and makes provisions for him to stay the night and for several days. Jesus and his crowds who are listening are living in a time of fear and violence. Like here in the States, many people lived on the edge of survival, just one attack away from dying on the edge of a road. Then, as now, we can come up with a long list of good reasons to be afraid, to first respond to this world from this fear, to keep to ourselves, to keep our eyes down, to pretend that we do not see what is happening, or if we do, to say that it has nothing to do with ourselves. Like the Levite and the priest, if we see a beaten person dying in a ditch, we can convince ourselves that it's just one person. It has nothing to do with us, and it is better to continue down the road along our own way. I wonder what makes you scared. I wonder how you respond to situations of fear and violence that crop up in our lives, in the news. I wonder where you are in this story. After all, there are many different ways that people respond to fear. If we look around, we can see many different security measures that people have. Some people stockpile offshore savings accounts. Other people stockpile guns. 
Some people make goals to achieve partnership or pristine college resumes or peak fitness in the hope that everything will just be okay. We all do these things in the hope that this will make the world a more secure, less scary place. We tell ourselves if we can only get to this income or get our kid into that school or have this weapon in the drawer, then we won't feel so afraid or filled with worry. In our story, we can see the Levite, the priest, and even the lawyer responding to fear in different ways. Each of them allow their worry to answer for them. Each of them have their own way of saying no to taking the risk that Jesus has put before them. No, I'm not ready to go there. No, I'm not ready to risk myself. No, I'm not ready to accept that answer. I need more specifics, Jesus. Who exactly is my neighbor? Who exactly do I have to care for? The lawyer, the priest, and the Levite don't want to get involved without more information, more guaranteed security. And we can see people make this choice throughout the Gospels over and over again. And if we confess it truly, we can sympathize with this choice. I've sometimes heard people say that, I wish I had been around when Jesus was alive. I wish I had seen him. That would have proved this is all was real. That would make everything so much easier to believe. But I'm not sure if that actually would have helped things that much, because when you read the scriptures, the people who meet Jesus and see Jesus don't always understand him even when he's standing right before them. We continually hear about these people who interact with him, who see and hear what Jesus is promising, and who still don't get it, who still don't grasp the radical vision that he is promising. Or if they do get it, if they do understand how he wants to turn the world upside down, they decide they aren't ready for that risk. They aren't ready to say yes to this promise of God's love and grace. Yes is a powerful word, but it is a risky word as well. Yes exposes you. It makes the speaker vulnerable. Just listen to the risk, the vulnerability in these lines. Yes, I do care about you. Yes, I will marry you. Yes, I really, really do want that job. Yes, I am unhappy, and while it would be easier to say no, I'm fine, and pretend that I have everything all together, I'm going to take a risk and say yes. Yes, I could use some help. Yes, I'm unhappy. Yes, I am ready to admit that I cannot do this on my own. Yes is risky. Yes is scary. But the gospel itself is a scary thing. It opens up possibilities that we would rather avoid. It shows us things about ourselves that we'd rather not see. It asks us to push away our fear and to go out on a limb, to risk our emotional, spiritual, and even physical security in some way. It asks us to risk our political perspective and our social bubbles our privilege and our perfectly designed answers. 
It asks us to risk everything in order to see, really see, a person who is lying in a ditch. And then it asks us to do something about that person. It is hard to say yes to the risk of the gospel. It is hard to say yes to the risk of a man who is lying in a ditch. This world is a scary place, and there are many reasons to say, no, not now, not this person, not yet. And yet we follow a God who chose to say the ultimate yes. Despite infinite reasons to avoid such a risk, Jesus said yes to being with us, to coming alongside us, to experiencing our pain, our joy, and even our rage that we threw against him. God said, yes, I want to go there. And still God says, yes, I want to be with you. On Friday, I found myself reading and rereading the verses about how the Samaritan cares for the man in the ditch. I needed to imagine gentle hands bandaging, soothing oil being poured out, I was grieving a world where people shoot first and ask questions later, where traumas send ripple effects through families and schools and cities until it can seem like they will ripple forever outward, casually destroying lives. I needed to read and reread these verses because I needed to place myself in a story where someone was doing something healing, something compassionate, I needed to read about one person seeing another person as a vulnerable human rather than as a scary threat. I needed to read about a person who said yes to the risk of the gospel, a person who paused along a dangerous road to help someone rather than to eliminate them. I needed to read a story where someone sees a man in a ditch and does something about it. I wonder where you are in this story. Perhaps you, like me, are hungry just to keep reading more. Perhaps you, too, want to spend more time picturing a world where a Samaritan stops for a Jew or something similarly shocking. Perhaps you, like me, need to imagine a world where people are kind and guns aren't necessary, where people of color aren't scared to walk in their own neighborhood and police officers don't shoot first out of fear. Perhaps you, like me, needed to imagine a world where the wolf lies down with the lamb, as Isaiah promises, where bombs don't kill people in their beds and bullying doesn't drive anyone to suicide, a world where disease is cured and disabilities are embraced and we don't see other humans as threats or embarrassments or things to avoid, but we see them as children of God. Perhaps you, like me, are aching for a story that is bigger than the one we sometimes feel caught in, a world where God truly does seem to rescue the orphan and the widow as the psalmist promises. Perhaps you, like me, are finally ready to admit that we do not have the answers as we are right now, that the way we've been doing things is wrong, that our country, our world is not as it should be, that we need to change our communities, our systems, ourselves, because our current situation is not the way things should be, because our current way of responding to a person in a ditch is not always the way of the gospel.
Perhaps we are all getting to the point in our collective grief and frustration where we are finally admit, willing to admit that there is hard work to do, that our individual privileged bubbles aren't enough, that our insular, isolated communities aren't enough, that we need a different story, a bigger sense of community, a more compassionate understanding of neighbor, a riskier claim on the gospel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. These are the words that the lawyer quotes. These are tough words. They ask a lot of us. They might even scare us if we think about them deeply and fully. But the world is full of scary stuff. The gospel is scary stuff. Yes is a scary word. I wonder how you are responding to this story. This week, let us work on placing ourselves into the story that Jesus tells, the story which doesn't end in death or a ditch, but ends with compassion and care, the story that ends with instructions to go and do rather than simply to avoid or just talk about doing. I wonder who you are in this story. I wonder who we are. I wonder who you are, who we are in the story that God is even now unspooling, unfolding in our midst in this world. Yes is a scary word. It leaves us exposed and vulnerable. Saying yes can leave us open to anything, including the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we are looking for you. We are listening for you. We need your help. We need your hands to pull us out of the ditch and to teach us again how to respond to your call today and in the days to come. Amen.